This is really tall. I won't move it. Uh, welcome. Thank you for joining us this morning, whether you're tuning in or here with us. It's good to see you. Uh, it's good to be around you. Um, something that I would like to uh, start with before um, our praise team comes up and leads us in worship and before Brother Darrell brings the teaching this morning, uh, something on my heart, uh, Romans 2.12, if you will reflect with me uh, as I read about that. Um, it says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And that's, that's a pretty common verse. If you're not familiar with chapter 12 in Romans, I encourage you to, to go and study that. Uh, Jesus uh, renewed and, and, and restored. Um, and so that renewing is a restoration. And so what I, what I want to consider is changing the way we think changes our perspective which changes how we speak, act, and react. And this is Jesus' main theme in his first sermon in Matthew. Um, many of us, if not every single one of us, uh, are, are concerned in one way or another. Uh, there's uncertainties. Um, and what I want to remind us is let's be aware of this petrified state of heart and mind towards these uncertainties and reflect on what the motivations of our hearts are. Uh, and so hopefully that's encouraging to you. And uh, we look forward to worshiping together this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. We uh, thank you for uh, the opportunity to worship you, uh, the freedom we have in that to worship you anywhere uh, and everywhere. Uh, we praise you for the salvation uh, that we have in you and in the cross. Uh, we thank you for forgiveness and redemption and we thank you lord for uh, the beauty that your creation has within it uh, even when we cannot see it and lord the uncertainties that we face lord that uh, we have a a healthy concern but it is balanced with the peace that only you can provide lord we thank you for um, who you are we thank you for what you're doing in our lives even when we when we cannot see it uh, Lord, when we face multiple paths in our days or decisions, Lord, you've got it. You are sovereign, and we acknowledge that. And, Lord, we just pray that you bless our time here uh, today um, together with the ones that might be tuning in. Lord, as we, we worship through music and worship through studying your word, uh, Lord, just be with uh, um, those that bring the music and Brother Darrell as he teaches uh, from your word, uh, Lord, just anoint him and uh, let our eyes and ears see and, and hear what we should. Uh, we thank you again for today, and it's in your son's Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Um, if y'all will, just stand as we worship the Lord this morning. Your dress. 
anybody in this congregation. I know earlier a couple people afterwards came up to me and said, yes, we've been doing the same thing, but I have gotten into bird watching. I know that sounds really old to some of the teenagers in here, but I'm telling you, it's really a neat thing, and the Lord has taught me some really good lessons through it, and this morning was no exception. I was reading my devotions, and you know, one of the things I really struggle with is feeling loved and the fear of not being loved or not loving others the way they need to be loved. And, um, and so there's this struggle in the midst of that. And the struggle that happens is that I strip away the peace of God that is available in my life. You know, he says in John 14, peace I give to you. And so if he gives it to me, then I'm denying him the ability to give me something when I don't have peace in my life, that peace that passes understanding. And we have these morning doves, and it started off with one, and then it was three, and then now we have like six or seven in our backyard. And they come twice a day, and these morning doves are amazing. So if you think back in the Bible, the first time you ever remember a dove is um, probably Noah's Ark, right? Noah sent out... Um, the dove, and the dove came back with the olive branch in his mouth, and no one knew everything's going to be okay. I got you. I'm providing for you. I love you. And that's what the Lord said to me this morning. You know, those morning doves were out there, and morning doves aren't like a lot of the other birds in my backyard. They don't fight over the food. They don't quarrel with one another much like we do as Christians or are doing a lot of lately. The world gives us a false peace that doesn't last. But in John 14 says, peace I give to you, not like the world gives to you. His peace is everlasting, and it's because he loves us. you 
Good morning. Well, it's a, a delight to be with you this morning. So, uh, a couple of years ago, I had the opportunity to share. I shared with, from 1 Corinthians, and today uh, our passage is going to come from uh, 2 Corinthians. So, if you want to turn to your, in your Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 30, is where we're going to start. So... Uh, but before we get started, we better ask God to bless us uh, as we get into his word and as we come together as a body. So if you would pray with me. So, Father, we, we bless you. Uh, great are you, Lord. Um, all our lives, you have indeed, you have been faithful. And you are a God who is indeed good. We see that from the first cover of your writings to us through your appointed men in time all the way to the last page and the last cover. You are faithful and you are good. Uh, bless us this morning as we come together, as we look at your word, that we might not be just hearers of the word, but we would also be doers of your word. We ask this for the sake of Christ our Lord. Amen. All right, so uh, we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and we'll begin at verse 30, and we'll go through the first 10 verses of chapter 12. Uh, just a short uh, introduction to the people of Corinth. Uh, Corinth was a, it was a coastal city, and uh, it was a place that a person could go and uh, be a self-made man. You could accumulate wealth, there was a lot of exports, imports, uh, a lot of businessmen, uh, but it was also a place that was uh, plagued by self-exaltation and also factionalism. So, uh, and this, this thing had made its way because of the popular culture, uh, it had made its way into the church. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians, uh, chapter 1 verse 12 he said what I mean is this one of you says I follow Paul another I follow Apollos another I follow Cephas and another I follow Christ they were getting in camps and they were getting behind uh, different personalities because the motive they had gotten from the philosophy that was uh, in that particular part of the world they were embracing it within the church the struggle was the promotion of self versus the promotion of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, I'm going to start us out today with a little story. Uh, when I was a young man, one of the things my brother and I loved to do, if it wasn't football season, it was baseball season, but, uh, but another thing we loved to do 
in our off time is we love to ride the ATV, the all-terrain vehicle. And we made these trails through the woods behind our house to ride on. And we had a dog, a dog named Barney. And no, we didn't name it after the show. Okay, this was before the show. Okay, Barney. And he wasn't a purple dog. He was a chocolate dog. He had some lab and some beagle in him. And what he was is he was the quintessential country dog. And this dog, he loved to chase us uh, through the woods as we would ride. And man, this dog could run. Uh, well, he was also stubborn, quite stubborn. Uh, we lived near a, a main thoroughfare, a main road. And we had lost some dogs through the years as they had gotten hit by some cars. And so, you know, we, we tried our best to keep old Barney tame and to keep him around the house, but uh, we realized in time it was kind of pointless. Uh, he, he was going to do what he was going to do, and he ran off one time, and he was gone for days, and we were worried about him. And uh, days later, we heard some, some whimpering out behind the back fence, and sure enough, it was Barney. And we knew something wasn't quite right because uh, this wasn't the kind of dog that would ordinarily whimper. Uh, well, we got to him, we could see that his eyes were glazed. And one of them was completely glazed. And we ran our hand in front of his eye, and we knew that he didn't blink. Uh, we knew that uh, he, was, he was blinded. And the, the other eye was also damaged some as, as well, but he could see just a little bit out of it. Uh, he had, we we uh, sort of theorized that he had ran after some girl dog and got on somebody else's property, and he got shot. So... And you could see the pellets in his eye. Uh, and so we now had a stubborn, undomesticated, blind dog who loved to run through the woods. Well, Barney was going to do what Barney was going to do. And uh, whenever you would crank up the engine to that ATV, he would just start panting, getting excited, okay? Uh, Time to run, that's when he was most excited. He could never put that passion down, and that dog loved to run. Oftentimes, we would ride to our friend's house, which was all, all the way to town, all the way through the woods, and uh, this dog would run all the way to town and back, chasing us. It was like a challenge for him. You know, he was not going to be outrun by this doggone machine, all right? Well, one day my, my brother and I, we were doubled up on the ATV and I was sitting behind my brother uh, who was driving through the woods and he had the accelerator down full throttle and we were flying through the woods as fast as we could go and I looked over to my right and Barney was just full stride, uh, just flying through the woods, his legs were straight out, fully extended and since I was the rider, you know, I was the only person who really saw this unfold I guess it's divine providence but uh I was a little concerned because of you know his weakness because of his limitations and as fast as we were going I you know he was kind of whimpering here or there I could tell that he was struggling to keep up well I looked over to my right ahead of Barney and there were these obstacles ahead and and I kept looking back okay I'd look at the obstacles look back at Barney obstacles back at Barney my eyes were moving to and fro and uh, in a flash, Barney, who was full stride, he met an obstacle. And it was an enormous pine tree. And he hit that pine tree head on so hard, it was as if for an instant there was a headless dog. His head had momentarily disappeared uh, between his legs. And uh, Not only did his head disappear, his entire backbone went vertical up against the pine tree uh, and just slammed against the pine tree. And then we heard, okay, but that dog, amazingly, that blind dog, he shook it off and he chased us all the way to town and back, probably with a concussion, okay, and a couple of crushed, you know, vertebrae, gray, probably in his neck. And I'm telling you that God was truly glorified uh, and uh, uh, somehow this dog made it through that uh, and, uh, but he was something else so question have you ever found yourself in a spot in life a place of immense weakness where you met your pine tree 
Uh, if you've been around me for any amount of time, you know that the dig on me is, uh, so where are you working this year, Daryl? So, you know, my wife, in all of her wisdom, uh, she said, uh, maybe this is your thing. You know, all these transitions in employment. Says the teacher who uh, been at the same place for 14 years, uh, 10 years. So, right. anyway. But, but through the years, I've been through quite a few just bewildering employment circumstances. This year marked yet another trans- transition that I found myself in. And like you guys, we were all on COVID-19 lockdown. And, uh, you know, I found myself in a pine tree type situation. Midlife crisis kind of thing, you know, mid-40s. Uh, been a lot of places uh, in one of the worst economic times in our nation's history and after so many transitions I now not only struggle with increased frustration and uh, feelings of rejection but I had to contend with just like you social isolation anxiety uh, generated by this worldwide event and the economic uncertainty tied to it Uh, and I found myself in a funk. So, uh, so what do you do? What do you do when you find yourself in a situation of immense weakness? Well, I prayed. You know, I made some calls. Uh, I sought counsel. You know, I asked for prayers. You know, we're all struggling. Uh, we certainly shouldn't go at it alone. Uh, that's not the thing to do during these times because it can certainly compound the feelings of isolation that we're all already dealing with. Uh, we're social creatures. Uh, seek the Lord. Seek his seek counsel from the body. Well, you know, I was looking for a feel-good story. You know, and I'd seen this movie before. And a few weeks back, you know, I decided to revisit this movie, yearning for some encouragement. And I watched the movie Cinderella Man again. Uh, if you're not familiar with the story, it's the story of a former heavyweight champ, James J. Braddock, affectionately known as the Bulldog of Bergen. Uh, the movie's based on a true story, and Jimmy Braddock was considered an over-the-hill heavyweight. Uh, he was known to have a great right hand, but uh, not so much a strong left hand. No left, as a matter of fact. But Braddock did well uh, early on in his career, but not as well as he could have had he been able to box with both hands. And he came on some hard times. He broke his hand several times and in some bouts and even continued to fight with a broken hand because of the uh, desperate situation that he had found himself in in the midst of the Great Depression and the need to provide. Well, he found himself completely out of boxing because he had a bad bout as he was struggling with a broken hand. Uh, And so he found himself working on the docks in New Jersey with a crushed right hand. And here was a well-known professional boxer who very nearly got a title bout who was now struggling to make ends meet just to be able to provide for his family. And in order to keep his job, he's got a crushed right hand. He's got to work now with his left hand. And he got to where he could work with that left hand fairly well. And what happened was this. A guy backed out against a title contender. And so the Boxing Association was put in a very uh, interesting situation. They needed someone to fight, and they needed someone to fight on short notice, just days. Well, Braddock's trainer got him to fight on just a few days' notice, uh, and after nine months without a fight, Braddock landed a bout against Corn Griffin. Uh, the odds makers predicted an easy win for Griffin, 5-1, to one, but Braddock was hungry. And when he got in the ring, lo and behold, he had a left hand. Braddock destroyed Griffin in three rounds. Uh, The weakness had made way for his strength. Question, do you have anything in your life that's a chronic, painful thing that you've prayed about and it remains ever-present? You might not find yourself, you might not be blinded, you might not have a crushed hand, okay? But we all have 
different circumstances that we all go through, different trials. We'll keep that story in mind here as we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 30. Uh, uh, ch- chapter 11, verse 30, Paul says this, if, if I have to boast, I will boast of what pertains to my weakness. Um, a genuine leader boasts not of his philosophic ideas or his rhetorical ability or his ability to, to debate, you know, like the Corinthians. Uh, but like Paul, a true leader, he boasts of his weakness that he can't do anything unless God, by his grace, shows up and appropriately God gets all the glory. That is a true and genuine leader. And so Paul boasts in his weakness. I will boast of what pertains to my weakness. That means he will glory only in what God has done. Uh, Paul said to the people of Galatia, he said, uh, but may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he wrote to the Romans, he said, I will boast of what pertains, excuse me, he said to the Romans, for I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed. Paul said, God did it not me. And he says, I'm merely Gideon's lamp. I'm just Gideon's clay pot. I'm just Gideon's horn that God chooses to use and chooses to sound. Uh, In verse 31, Paul goes so far as to take a vow. He says this, uh, the God and Father of the Lord Jesus, uh, who who is blessed forever, knows that I'm not lying. Paul said, I swear, my boast is not in myself, but it is in the might of God. And in verse 32, uh, this is the beginning of Paul's ministry in Acts 9. Paul writes, In Damascus, the ethnarch under Eratos, the king, was guarding the city of the Damascenes in order to seize me. Well, there was a group of Jews there that wanted Paul dead. Uh, so they, what they did is they put a bounty on his head. They put a price tag on his head. Uh, that we have to take Paul out. We've got to drown out this voice on the resurrection, and this group was motivated by hate. And what they did is they persuaded the political powers that be to do them a favor. And so Paul was, was wanted by the religious and the political powers of his day. Uh, the ethnarch, or the governor, who was the, the father-in-law to Herod Antipas, uh, under Eratos the king, he went to seize him. Now, Eratos was king of the most powerful neighbor of Judea. So powerful was this neighbor in the state of affairs of Judea that it shaped the destiny of Judean rulers. Uh, They could take somebody out whenever they wanted to, to achieve their desired ends. But in verse 33, Paul says, I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and so escaped his hands. He was lowered in a basket through a wall and saved. Does that sound familiar? Uh, In the book of Joshua, the spies were lowered and they got out over the wall by way of the faithfulness of a woman. In a man's day, a woman. A harlot named Rahab. And Paul says this, he says, Look, I was a dead man. I had a bounty on my head. Uh, I am here by the grace of God. Uh, isn't this the story of God's people from one end of the Bible to the other? In and of themselves, they're not great or strong. As a matter of fact, uh, God has to continually intervene to protect them and to take care of them. Look, I, there's 66 books. I'll just give you some highlights of one book. Adam and Eve, what have you done? We ate of the tree that you told us not to, and our eyes were opened, and we became weakened in sin. God intervenes, clothes them with the skin of a lamb, foreshadowing God's final solution to man's weakened estate, the coming of a Messiah who would ultimately deal with sin, Genesis 3.15, by one who would crush Satan's head and in the process would bear the scars for 
eternity. Human weakness provides the opportunity for divine power. But when God promises deliverance, what does the devil do? The devil tries to make us destitute. Uh, Satan gains control of all the nations such that the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. But one man, Noah, found favor in the eyes of the Lord. He built an enormous ark in a landlocked region only to endure the lifelong emotional affliction of insult by the masses. Noah you're a fool. Human weakness provides the opportunity for divine power. Satan had his nation, so God says, okay, I'll take one. I'm going to give you a son, Abraham, uh, though, uh, through whom I'm going to bring about my covenant nation. Well, Lord, how are you going to do that? Don't you know my old lady here? She's barren. Uh, Isaac's wife, Rebecca. She too was barren. Well, God's covenant nation is not going to be brought about by human strength because human weakness provides the opportunity for divine power. Jacob, the deceiver, wrestled with the pre-incarnate Christ and the Lord simply touched his hip and for the rest of his life he walked with a limp as a continual reminder that scheming and striving and having your own agenda is not what God wants. Now, as his life was afflicted with chronic pain, human weakness provided the opportunity for divine power. God could use him. You know, I could go on and on and on. There's 66 books, but, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll finish this little segment with this one. Isaiah wrote, Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son. And she will call his name Emmanuel. Human weakness provides the opportunity for divine power. Um, watching our culture and what's going on in the world, Solomon said this, by the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted, but by the mouth of the wicked, it is torn down. These are perilous times that we're all in. And we're watching it all fold, unfold on social media. We got lockdowns, economic upheaval, widespread unemployment, unprecedented growth of enormous tech giants, government mandates, social distancing and masking. Restrictions on public gathering except for certain special gatherings. Lockdowns of small businesses deemed non-essential but not larger essential corporations who sell the same merchandise or even abortion clinics. The banning of singing in places of worship. The banning of Christians meeting in their own homes. This is going on in our nation. Well, folks, you better get woke because many of our global leaders, many owners of our country's largest businesses, sports franchises, many of our celebrities, they obviously don't worship the same God we Christians Unlike the Corinthians, we can't follow in their lead. Truth is relative in our modern culture, and reality is that we're about to be facing a global leviathan. As Paul said, if we Christians are going to do anything, it's going to be in weakness by the grace of God. Embrace it, Paul says. We're non-essentials. Christ is essential. Uh, in chapter 12, verse 1, look with me there, Paul writes, uh, boasting is necessary, though it is not profitable, but I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. Now, why does Paul talk about a vision? Well, it's because this was the trump card that was being played by these false teachers that were there in the Corinthian church. 
They boasted in their ability to win public arguments, and they had, of course, gotten this from the philosophical uh, environment of the culture there. So, and they valued rhetorical ability. And it didn't matter if what you argued for was even legitimate. What mattered was whether you won the argument or not. So the Corinthians were all about receiving adulation. Uh, Norman Vincent Peale, he said this. This is a great quote. He said, The trouble with most of us is that we would rather be ruined by praise than saved by criticism. Some church leaders in the Corinthian church here had even tried to authenticate their positions by proclaiming that they had visions, paranormal experiences out in the woods to validate their position, to validate their apostolate. And who could argue with that? Who could argue with it? There's no way he just went out in the woods, nobody there to see what he, what he witnessed. In chapter 11, they were called the super apostles or the hooper, uh, the ones above the apostles. Uh, and they claimed, of course, that they were, of course, essential. Uh, and uh, they had been something, they had seen something, and thus they had uh, uh, claimed to have, you know, a bit of knowledge that the uh, apostles didn't have. Well, Jude 1.8 says they were defiled by dreaming. And what Paul does here is Paul gets critical with them. Uh, in Colossians, Paul said this, he said, uh, Let no one keep defrauding you of the prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of the angels taking his stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind. That's how every cult starts. Somebody goes out in the woods, and then they come out having seen something, and then they, they never point to their own deeds, they never reference the scriptures. As Paul said, they are inflated without cause by their own fleshly mind. Well, God is going to uh, see Paul's weakness not merely as a weakness, but something that is a blessing that uh, God has to ensure that Paul doesn't lose. Uh, starting in uh, chapter 12, verse 1, Paul says, his weakness is a good thing, not to be lost as it is something that could be threatened by blessing. Well, the only way we can certify essentialness is to uh, test the spirits, Right? and to take a look at it parallel to Scripture. So here's what Paul does. Paul says, okay, so visions are your trump card. Well, Paul says in verse 2, let me tell you about my vision. Uh, now, this is the one thing that he has in common, you know, being a good teacher. Yeah, this is the one thing he has in common with these false teachers. Uh, uh, Paul has boasted, however, in things that the false teachers, these so-called essentials, cannot. Uh, they had no deeds. They had no biblical orthodoxy. Uh, no willingness to work for nothing. Uh, or to suffer. Or to care for the weak. And what they did is they boasted. They boasted in their brilliance. And they boasted in their rhetorical ability. Uh, they're the polar opposite of Paul. They're worldly leaders, not divine leaders. But notice Paul's condescension here toward them and their vision and their empty claims. Uh, Paul cleverly is going to use a certain tactic here not, to not bring attention to himself. Uh, he does not speak of himself here in the first person. He speaks of himself in the third person. Uh, read there with me there, verse 2. It says, uh, I know a man in Christ. <laughs> so who is he? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, doesn't matter. It's not essential. Uh, so Paul says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, and this, this is at the beginning of Paul's ministry in Galatia in Acts 14, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, God knows. Uh, Paul says, now whether physically caught up in heaven, or it being just his soul, I don't know. And in verse 4, Paul says, he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which a man is not permitted to speak. So Paul was caught up into a third heaven, which the Jews called paradise, uh, into the very presence of God. Well, what did he see? Verse 3, 
I don't know. God knows. Uh, well, what did he hear? It was inexpressible words, and a man is not permitted to speak. Do you see Paul's condescension here? Who is he? I don't know. What did he see? I don't know. What did he hear? I, I don't know. So Paul, so Paul says, you had a vision? Who cares? Uh, I want to see your life. Show me your deeds. Show me your sacrifice. Show me the stripes on your back. Show me your suffering. Show me your care for the weak. Uh, show me your, your servanthood. Uh, show me your harvest. I don't want to hear about these unsubstantiated claims you know, that have no, no credibility whatsoever. Uh, in, in Acts 14, Paul was, he was stoned and he was drug out of the city. And the apostles gathered about him and the text says he rose up and he went back into the city. And this was supernatural. Many commentators think, and I think, that Paul died and he was in the very presence of God in paradise. And this all took place in our time frame within a matter of minutes. Uh, and uh, Paul got here a, a glimpse of paradise. Uh, and God's intent was to reveal to Paul what awaited the faithful. Uh, Paul wrote to the Romans, he said, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Uh, God sent Paul back. Uh, and this is why Paul wrote this to the Philippians. Paul wrote, But I'm hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Paul witnessed glory. How glorious is it, Paul? Well, I can't tell you. Because if I, I did tell you, you'd want me to hold you under at your baptism. Just be faithful and wait until your homecoming. And so Paul said in verse 5, on behalf of such a man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast, except in regard to my weakness. I will boast of such a man's vision of paradise and of the glory of God. But in myself, I will not boast, except in my weakness. Verse 6, for if I do wish to boast, I will not be foolish, for I will be speaking the truth. But I refrain from this. Paul says, you know, I could boast about this vision, and if he did, he'd be speaking the truth. But Paul refuses to do it. Why is that? Well, it's because Paul does not want the criteria for truth to be Paul. Uh, in verse 6, but I refrain from this so that no one will credit me with more than he sees in me or hears from me. Paul says, judge me. Judge all Christians and all supposed leaders by their message. Do they, do they hold to inerrancy? Do they hold to the full deity and the full humanity of Christ? Uh, do they hold to the virgin birth, the resurrection, the Trinity, salvation by grace through faith, uh, the sealing of the Holy Spirit. Do they hold to the bodily resurrection from the dead or, or our rule with Christ forever in his kingdom? Um, examine their message and examine their deeds. It's not the kind of suit the guy wears. It's not how brilliant he is. It's not how proficient he is or if he can win a debate, if he has good rhetorical skills, Paul says none of that is essential. It is irrelevant. Uh, what is his message? Do his deeds back up his message? Will he suffer for the cause? Uh, the Lord wants us to be great. Who's the greatest? The greatest is the one who serves. Take up your cross and follow me as human weakness provides the opportunity for divine power. Verse 7, look there. The vision was toxic in a sense. 
Paul goes on, he says, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself. Why was it toxic? It was toxic because blessing can ruin. It took Thomas Edison some 1,000 trials to finally invent a light bulb that could last for 1,000 hours. Uh, The dilemma for Edison was finding a suitable filament, the small strand in the bulb that lights up, which had to be just right. And Edison finally settled on a carbonized piece of bamboo as a filament, as it was weak enough to shine, but strong enough not to burst. Paul exhorted the Ephesians, live as children of the light. As the body of Christ, that's uh, what we are meant to be. Weak enough to shine, but strong enough not to burst. Well, these Corinthians had allowed pride to get in their heads, and so they burst. Uh, Concerning Paul, and to make sure this didn't happen, God gave Paul this thorn in the flesh. Now, thorn is an Old Testament term which refers to a Canaanite uh, whom uh, the people of God coexisted with, uh, a pagan that is opposed to you. Uh, As a matter of fact, Paul says in verse 7 that it is a messenger of Satan uh, to torment me and to keep me from exalting myself. You know, there's been a lot of debate about what this thorn in the flesh was. The term messenger of Satan is never used about physical suffering or disease. In verse 7, this thorn in the flesh is described as a satanic messenger. It's used in 2 Corinthians 11.5, about false teachers. They are messengers of Satan. Um, The word here for torment is the word uh, tumpano. Uh, It's uh, a word for a hand drum, which in turn uh, derives from the verb tupto, meaning to strike or to hit. Uh, The tympanic membrane in the ear is in the ear cavity or the drum. You know, music can be used by armies as a tool of psychological warfare for, you know, interrogation. It can make you go crazy. You know, I think of the movie, uh, you know, Groundhog Day, you know, where he wakes up every day to the same tune. Now put your little hand in mine. There ain't no little mountain we can climb. Every single day. Okay. This is what it is. It's constantly nagging at him. Uh, Now, in verse 10, there's insult, there's distress, persecution, uh, difficulty, disrespecting Paul. And in verse 7, Paul identifies it as his flesh, his pride. It's ever-present. So so what do you do? What do you do when you are afflicted with something that is painful and chronic and won't go away? Well, it could be, you know, it could be something like the death of a companion, and now you're struggling, you know, for a long period of time for loneliness and perhaps it's some sort of physical ailment uh you know for me it's it's been a chronic transition you know in employment uh, you know th- this is not necessarily something brought about as a result of sin uh, now it could be it could be however whatever the case it's uh, it's a chronic thing you know we all struggle with or we have struggled with something like this different in uh, many places, but the same also. So how do we deal with it? Uh, Well, the first thing you do is you recognize there in uh, verse 7, if you look there with me. It is given to me. You acknowledge, you can fill this in on your handout there, you acknowledge God's providence. God is behind And I can do anything as long as I know that God is in control. If any affliction envelops me, it's not some accident. God is sovereign. God is in control. And secondly, uh, recognizing God's providence brings comfort because now I know that there's purpose. This affliction thwarts boasting. It thwarts self-exaltation. It keeps me from exalting myself. This affliction 
is purposeful. Uh, God has a reason for this, that it is for my good. Uh, I need to know that it's from him. Uh, Eli said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And thirdly, look at verse 8. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. Uh, You summon God to guide you through prayer. Uh, God, take it away. It doesn't go away. God, take it away. It doesn't go away. God, take it away. It doesn't go away. Now, this doesn't mean you need to become some sort of extremist, you know, where you take some sort of twisted satisfaction or gratification and torture. Okay? Doesn't mean you're supposed to become a flagellant. I don't know if you guys know what a flagellant is. Okay, flagellants were radicals in the Catholic Church in the 14th century. They would whip their own flesh with various instruments of torture, and they would take some sort of gratification from this extremism. We're not asking you that. Pray. God, take it away. Would you please kill him? No. Uh, Can you take this guy out? No. Will you just get rid of this guy? No. Well, God, you took out Ananias and Sapphira. You dealt with Simon the magician. You struck Elimus the fraud blind. God, do something. No. How many of you have been praying for our nation? Are we weakened nationally? Are we feeling weakened individually? Because that's pretty easy to do when you get weakened nationally. David wrote, He who chastises the nations, shall he not correct? He teaches people knowledge. The Lord, he knows the thoughts of people that they are a breath. The great physician, he knows our thoughts, and thus he knows the medicine that we need. Uh, Michelangelo was asked, uh, you know, how are you going to take this slab of marble and turn it into David? And he said, I simply take away what should not be. And so it is with the sculpting of the believer. We lost... uh, uh, a giant in the faith this week, uh, J.I. Packer, great expositor. So he passed on and went to be with the Lord. He has some great words for this. Packer says, God uses chronic pain and weakness along with other afflictions as his chisel for sculpting our lives. Felt weakness deepens dependence on Christ for strength each day. The weaker we feel, the harder we lean. And the harder we lean, the stronger we grow spiritually, even while our bodies waste away. To live with your thorn uncomplainingly, that is sweet, patient, and free in heart to love and help others, even though every day you feel weak, is true sanctification. It is true healing for the Spirit. It is a supreme victory of grace. You know, God will answer our longing for greatness. The question is, what are we longing for? Our purpose in life is not just to be happy, but it is for us to be great. And when we scheme and when we strive and when we set our own agenda in the flesh, God will chip away at what should not be because we are but a breath, but yet he wants to make us great in his way. And thus to answer our longing for greatness, he chips away, he makes us cry out to him. And so Paul pleads with God three times, take it away, take it away, take it away, no, no, no. God answers verse 9 each time with a resounding no. So you have providence, you have purpose, you have prayer, and then you have rest. God said, my grace 
is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. All you need is Christ. Uh, My power will show itself through weakness, not individual human talent. I need you, Paul. I need you to be humble, weak enough to shine, but strong enough not to burst, such that my power can be made manifest through you. I'm going to make you pray and rest in my sufficiencies. And so verse 9, Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weakness, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. God doesn't answer Paul's prayer. He won't give Paul what is of immediate pleasure. Because God is in this for the long haul. He likes Paul right where he is because he can use him. And now Paul can boast. Look what God did. There's no doubt. Uh, In verse 10, therefore I am well content with weakness, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Be content with your weakness, these messengers that don't go away. We're to stand out. We're to be like a lighthouse. A lighthouse there standing alone in the storms, showing the way to safety. Paul will have victory because God is so good that he would not answer Paul's prayer. No, I won't take this away because I like your estate as it is. As J.I. Packer said, sweet, patient, and free in heart to love and help others even though every day you feel weak. So, How do we deal with affliction? We recognize God's providence. That there is purpose. We pray. We rest. And we boast in our weakness. And we be content in our weakness. I'm going to close with this from Job. Anyone who had to deal with trials, Job certainly had more than his fair share. Job said it like this, But he knoweth the way that I take. We all have different ways. He knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. He takes away what should not be. Human weakness provides the opportunity for divine power. Pray with me. Father, we come before you in this time of uncertainty and we acknowledge from your word that oftentimes we can scheme and we can craft and can be crafty and we can set up our own agenda. Assist us with your spirit, Lord, that we might rest in you and be content in our weakness that you can use us to make us great in your eyes, not the eyes of the world, but in your eyes. Assist us, O God. We ask this for the sake of Christ. Amen. dismissed.